Gold gets close this week. You're listening to Kick a Roundtable. I'm your host, Michael McRae. He's been traveling, but we have him back. It's Kickle correspondent Paul Harris. How you doing, Paul? Hey, Michael. Good to be back. Thank you. I always enjoy having a guest who helps resource companies with financing. Count on the person having deeply considered industry models and where it's all headed. It's Warren Gilman. He's chairman and CEO of Queens Road Capital. How you doing, Warren? Tremendous, Michael, and great to join you in your hometown. I escaped Hong Kong a couple of weeks ago, and I'm enjoying the background, which your background, which I can look out my window and see in person. I'm in New Westminster. Uh, Warren is over on uh, North West Vancouver, a uh, well-known home to a lot of mining companies. Warren, we've had on CEOs of uh, streaming and royalty companies in the past. Tell us about Queens Road and what the conversion model is. Queens Road is a Toronto-listed public company, which I created a couple of years ago. It is Cayman Incorporated, Toronto-listed, as I mentioned, Hong Kong Mind and Management, because I've lived in Hong Kong for 20 years, and 80 to 90% of our shareholders are Australian. So it's truly a global company. And we invest mainly in convertible debentures in incredibly good ore bodies around. We had an interesting discussion off camera just talking about uh, the regional differences. I really want to get into that. There's also so much happening with metal prices and it's really good to have somebody that's going to be able to talk about those differences. Let's turn to macro first. Gold nearly broke through the magical $2,000 mark this week, but ended the week decidedly lower, pressured by rising bond yields and higher U.S. dollar index and lower crude oil prices. U.S. Treasury yields surged and stocks slid after Powell, in a speech at the AMF meeting on Thursday afternoon, reiterated her bias for strong U.S. interest rate hikes in the coming months. Traders and investors are now expecting a 50 basis point increase at the FOMC meetings in May, June, and maybe July. June gold futures were last down 1440 to 1933, and Maycomex silver was last down 30 cents to 2433. News that can move commodities markets. France has its election on Sunday. Incumbent establishment status quo Emmanuel Macron is favored partly due to the crisis in Europe, but a surprise by Marie Le Pen could unsettle markets. Up next, mining, but first our sponsor. Copper is a new oil, according to Goldman Sachs, and Libero Copper holds a collection of porphyry copper deposits in the Americas in the prolific but stable jurisdictions. Libero is focused on its Makoa property, a copper molybdenum deposit in Colombia. The company announced an intercept at the project of 251 meters, grading at 1.13% copper equivalent, with assays returned for only the first 450 meters at 1235 meters a hole. The company's focus on environmental social governments will be key to unlocking the project's value. Outside of Makoa, Libero's portfolio includes Big Red, a new Greenfield Porphyry copper deposit, and this Big Bulk. Both are in the Golden Triangle of Canada. And in Argentina, Libero has the Esperanza Porphyry Copper Gold Discovery in San Juan. Once again, that's Libero Copper, LBC on the Venture Exchange, and we thank Libero for its support. Paul, tell us some mining headlines. Well, We've got a big focus on Latin America this week, particularly copper. Solgold announced a pre-feasibility study for its Cascabel Copper Gold project, under which it will produce an average of 132,000 tonnes a year of copper, 350,000 ounces a year of gold, and 1 million ounces of silver, or 212,000 tonnes a year of copper equivalent. For an initial 26 years, 
at an initial project life of mine, all in sustaining cost of just six cents per pound following pre-production capital expenditure of 2.7 billion US dollars for the initial cave deal. Also in Ecuador, Solaris Resources reported an updated mineral resource estimate for its Warinsa Central Deposit, its copper gold project there, which now features an indicated resource of about 1.5 billion tonnes across all resource categories, grading just under 0.8% copper equivalent. Warinsa Central is just the first of several deposits the company has there, so this project is looking like it will grow to potentially massive scale. In Argentina, Filo Mining drilled a zinger of a hole at its Filo del Sol copper project in San Juan with an intercept of 1,252 metres, grading 0.56% copper, 0.41 grams per tonne gold, and 6.6 grams per tonne silver for a 9.1% copper equivalent. And all of that is outside of the current resource shell. We are confident that there will be many more holes like this to come, said Filo Mining President and CEO Jamie. In Mexico, Mexico's President Andres Obrador achieved his aim and nationalized the lithium sector, with the Senate approving a reform and modification to the mining law in a record two days, giving the state the exclusive rights to explore, exploit and use lithium, despite the state lacking the ability to do so. Mexico's government now has 90 days to create a new agency to handle lithium. I want to bring back Warren. Warren. In another interview, you sounded bullish. You raised about $100 million earlier this year. You said that you already had the funds allocated. In, indeed, Michael. No shortage of opportunities. And that might be a little bit counterintuitive to your listeners because uh, Queen's Road, you, you might effectively call us private equity capital for the mining industry. And private equity capital, even at the best of times, competes with public equity markets for, for opportunities. And the short-sighted CEOs tend to, when we have a bull market, just slam the market and raise as much equity as they possibly can with little to no consideration for shareholder dilution. And we have to compete with that mentality. So all other things being equal, it's generally harder to deploy capital in an equity bull market. But this is a different equity bull market. I think you might have noted, Michael, earlier that you know, commodity prices are doing very, very well. Equities aren't quite keeping pace. That's particularly true in the North American gold space. So we're seeing value opportunities in the North American gold space. And a classic example of that is the investment we made just last weekend in Contango Gold, which is a US-listed and Alaska-focused gold company. So I think you'll probably be seeing more of the same from us as while this opportunity exists. But beyond gold, in the same theme, because commodity prices have escalated to such a degree, there is a plethora of opportunities which three years ago, four years ago, just weren't that attractive and today are. And so as a result, yes, we're competing with public equity markets, but we're competing in a very crowded field with lots of investment opportunities. So yeah, it won't take us long to deploy the 100 million and we'll be growing from there. Paul. I think we could perhaps take some of that as a sponsorship, Warren, in the future, if um, that's uh, all right with you. But no, the point I was going to make, though, that the last couple of years have been pretty good. Uh, it's been a pretty good window for raising equity for the gold companies and uh, gold juniors, and a lot of them have done so. 
the, the feedback I'm getting now is that that's no longer the case. They've, they've, there's been a lot of aggressive drilling programs. So companies are, have you know, worked through the equity they did raise. And now they're sort of trying to come back and it's gone. It's not there or it's being very difficult to get. So that must be very encouraging news for you and, and potential opportunities for you to deploy. Precisely, Paul. You've, you've described it in a nutshell. That's exactly where we are. These projects have benefited from that injection of capital from the big bull market we had two years ago, where they all raised a ton of cash. So the projects are now further advanced. They're better defined. And so it's a great time for us to come in now that equity markets are a little less receptive to follow on issues, and especially at lower prices from where companies raised money two years ago. So it's a, it, it's a pretty good time for us to deploy capital in that particular sector. Warren, help me out. So, you know, within your portfolio, you have gold companies, uranium companies, I see copper monies, and then also you're publicly traded. But does that make it harder for investors? You know, because you're usually taping a bet on some type of metal, say they're in the precious metal space or in the industrial metal space. One of the foundations of Queen's Road is reduce risk. Do not lose shareholder money. And in the company that I ran for the 10 years prior to Queen's Road, CEF, for Mr. Lee Ka-shing out of Hong Kong, rule number one was always, do not lose Mr. Lee's money. I take that very seriously, and I will not lose Queen's Road shareholders' money. So we employ a variety of techniques to ensure that that doesn't occur. We are focused on debt securities. So we're not direct equity investors normally. So we have that protection of a debt position in the company's balance sheet. We go to relatively safe jurisdictions in the mining sector, and we try to diversify the portfolio, to your point, amongst different commodities, amongst different projects, and amongst different geographies. So we're not overly exposed to any and so I like to say we're commodity agnostic. We don't focus on any one metal. So if people want to have a concentrated focus in any one metal, perhaps Queens Road isn't for them because we want to reduce that risk and not only reduce risk, but increase opportunities. If I was a gold focused investor, uh, that was limited to gold. When gold goes through a tremendous bull market, you shouldn't be investing. The same goes for copper or nickel, which white right now are white hot. That's probably a time to be selling into the rally rather than deploying capital into those names. So I think being commodity agnostics, agnostic helps us to find opportunities in out-of-focus sectors and get better value for our shareholders. And we're all about not losing their money, reducing their risk, and creating value. That's what we do. So, Warren, what, what would you say the out-of-focus sectors at the moment? Because, as you mentioned, that the base metals pretty much across the board are white hot at the moment. Precious metals, the precious metals themselves are, you know, doing the prices doing very well, even if the, some of the, the the share prices are, or across the board, the share prices are at a, a discount to that. You know, where, where do you turn in an environment like this? Well, one has to keep a very open mind, Paul. And so we've talked about gold and the opportunity that provides immediately. Other sectors, you're right. It's tough to find opportunities. So in those cases, you look at equity-specific reasons. 
And Los Andes Copper is a classic example. Our previous two investments were in Los Andes Copper. And Los Andes Copper, even though we're in a tremendous copper bull market, Los Andes is a world-class ore body that was stuck in this Toronto-listed company, very moribund. No one followed it. No one had ever heard of it. And it was a very company-specific story of tremendous value hidden in a moribund public company. Since we got, got involved a year ago, the stock has now doubled and liquidity has gone through the roof on it because we have brought attention. We've shone a light on the ore body that was in that moribund company. That's one example of finding opportunities in a relatively hot sector. Another one would be the investment we made before Los Andes, which was a Cisco Green. And a Cisco Green is going to invest in the battery material sector, whatever that will result in when it de-SPACs. A Cisco Green is a SPAC. And the opportunity there was to come in as a founder, along with Sean Rusin and John Brzezinski, and, and participate in the benefits of a founder shareholder position within that SPAC. So again, finding unique opportunities that create value for QRC shareholders. One final point, Paul, is keep an eye on metals that are off the beaten track. The biggest single investment I made with Mr. Lee, and perhaps the most successful of all of them, was buying the Niobec mine off of IM Gold back in 2014 and investing in the niobium sector. Opportunities to invest in the niobium sector in a producing mine don't come along very often. By keeping an open mind, by not being a gold-focused fund or a uranium-focused fund or a battery metals-focused fund, I was able to step in and take advantage of that opportunity by keeping an open mind for metals that are not on the well-worn track. And we're constantly looking for those opportunities. Thank you. Now, Warren, you know, Paul and I, we talk to a lot of juniors and say that they're in a country that has a less developed mining sector. You know, that junior, what they're going to say and what we are hearing a lot these days is saying, if you're worried about jurisdictional risk, you've got to look at the local community. You've got to look at the local community and then see how well we're embraced. Does that hold out as a model for you right now in terms of actually weighing risk, Warren? Oh, Michael, absolutely. You have to have... It, it doesn't matter what the law says. You have to have social license. You have to have the community behind you. So when we look at investing in a project, you have to, first of all, believe that in 30 years, you're still going to own that project. Someone isn't going to come along and take it from you. So that goes to geopolitical risk, and that goes to legal framework and rule of law. And then secondly, even with the legal right to own it and to mine it, will the people allow you to mine it? And you see this going on in Peru on a daily basis today where people have the legal right to mine, but the local communities are stopping it. And MMG is certainly running into problems with Las Bambas on a continual basis. And that's a classic example of having the communities behind you. So you need both. And it's critical to assess both when you're looking at deploying. Now, Queen's Road investors, as you mentioned at the top, are mostly out of Australia, but mining is very global. You've noticed a difference between how Australians and how North Americans are viewing mining. Yeah, the Australian market, Michael, I, I refer to it as a hothouse. 
it's uh, a, a relatively small market with fewer opportunities with an investor base that's focused on more domestic opportunities. So some relatively large institutions and a very mining-focused retail market looking within, looking domestically. So valuations in Australia generally are higher than in the rest of the world. And that arbitrage, if you will, has existed for going on 15 years. I relate a story where in my previous job working for Mr. Lee, Mr. Lee was perhaps the largest private individual investor in Australia. And he would call me up and say, Warren, I have the premier of South Australia on the phone. He's happy that I bought his electrical distribution network for the entire state, but he's encouraging me to now invest in the mining sector. And Warren, why don't we have investments in Australian And the answer to Mr. Lee was regularly, well, Mr. Lee, if I can find relative value in Australia, I'll go there. But I haven't been able to find relative value in Australia for the last 15 years. And frankly, nothing is currently on the horizon. I I am hopeful that someday that'll happen, but I think we'll need a pretty significant correction in the Australian dollar in order to correct that valuation arbitrage. Well, one thing that's come out of that valuation arbitrage war and um, the relative value aspect, we've seen in recent years, Australian companies increasingly moving into the Americas, into North America, into South America, some, some big investments, some, some you know, good highlight projects there. Do you see more of that to come, given that absolutely. that arbitration still exists? Paul, absolutely. You've, once again, you've, you've, you've come to the nut of the matter, and that exactly explains why all these very successful, big market cap, high valuation Australians are coming to the North American market and seeing great opportunities, especially in the gold space, but more and more in battery metals and, and lithium. The lithium boom that has gone on in Australia in the last two years is phenomenal and it's been somewhat missed here in the Toronto market. The number of multi-billion dollar companies that have been created in Australia in the last two years in the lithium space that no one in Canada has even heard of. And those companies are gonna continue expanded to Canada just like the Australian Gold Coast have. It is truly an astounding creation of value in a relatively short period of time. And that's just the most recent example. Warren, when are we going to get some uh, news from Cisco Green? Last year, uh, they had that uh, huge SPAC announced. Yeah, so the company raised the money in August of last year. As you know, SPACs have a limited runway. We have to announce something by you know within the next year or so. So I can't tell you when precisely, Michael. All I can tell you is that something has to happen in about the next year. So stay tuned. It will be happening. You know that the Cisco group, Sean and John, are very, very well connected in this sector. They will find an opportunity and will put it to to the Cisco Green shareholders to either support or not support, as is our right, and and we'll go from there. So stay tuned. Something we know. Finally, Warren, uh, we should uh, give a shout out uh, to Uranium. You do have uh, some Uranium holdings. I looked back at that. uh, You're looking at a decade high. What I was follow uh, a Kamiko back in April as well, too. Uh, You said that uh, there's a relatively narrow group of investors, which bodes well for Uranium. Yeah, uranium is one of those sectors that not that many people follow. It's 
It's certainly not as small as niobium, which I mentioned earlier, but it's a relatively small sector. We talked about having having a number for the for the broadcast. I don't know if it's too early to raise the number, but my number is 70 million. And 70 million is the number of cars, the CO2 replacement equivalent of the number of cars that NextGen's aero deposit will displace or eliminate in terms of CO2 generation. 70 million. Tesla, for example, will produce maybe a million cars this year. NextGen will take 70 million cars off the road every year in equivalent. And yet that industry, the entire industry, has a market cap of $30 billion, including Cameco. You know, Tesla has a market cap of a trillion dollars. You can buy the entire uranium industry, which is going to have a monumental impact on climate change for 30 billion. Never mind, by the way, keeping the lights on in America and in most of Canada, and certainly going forward in China and Asia generally. So this is a tremendous industry that has a tremendous upside, but because it doesn't have an LME-traded metal, it's not like copper, it's not like gold, it's not like zinc, we don't have an LME quote or a COMEX quote that changes on a minute-by-minute basis. We have a very, very illiquid spot market and predominantly a contract market. People don't follow it as much. That is a sector that is going to mushroom in the coming 20 years. I think, Warren, uh, you expertly uh, segued into our number of the week. Uh, I'm going to uh, next. Paul. <laughs> Can I just jump in with a question there? Um, sure. Just, this is a pure curiosity thing. We've seen in the last year or two some uranium companies buying uranium to help support the price. Yeah, all well and good. Why don't we see that in the gold set? Yeah, that's very good. Very good question, Paul. I think the reason you don't see it is the gold market is pretty large. It's not as large as people think. It's pretty liquid. Again, not as liquid as people think. But one company's purchase of gold would be a drop in the bucket. You wouldn't have any influence on the price. One company buying uranium because the market is so small, has a material impact on the spot price. And you've certainly seen the impact of SPUT, the, the Sprott Uranium Trust, since they've gotten some scale, the impact that they've made on spot prices in the last six months has been enormous. So that's a, that's a great reflection of how tight and how illiquid the market is. I think that's the difference, Paul, is just the size of the market and the ability to influence the price. So if you take a million pounds, which is only $50 million off the market in uranium, you have a material impact on supply and demand. Thank you. We'll do our number of the week. I'll start. <laughs> Warren, you had your number. My number is half. In its Q1 results, Tesla noted that half of its vehicles produced in Q1 were equipped with lithium iron phosphate cathodes, which are nickel and cobalt free. That shows that substitution is alive and well in battery metals. Tesla still views mining and refining lithium as limiting a growth factor in the future with raw materials accounting for about 10% of the company's total cost. That number from BMO Metals. Paul, I've, I've already said it, that, that 1,252 meters that Philo drilled, I mean, that's, uh, wow, what a hole. Warren, 
What are going to be some news over the next 12 months from Queens? There's going to be quite a bit of news, Paul, or Michael, sorry. We are hopefully going to get the nod from the main board of the TSX to become a main board listed company because we're currently, the shell I took over a couple of years ago was a venture listed shell. We will declare our second annual dividend, which is quite an achievement for our second full year of operation. So we'll, by the end of the year, we'll be a main board listed company with a history of annual dividend payments. We will be a much larger company, much more diversified with, we hope, what will be recognized as a stunning portfolio of excellent mining assets like NextGen, Aero, like Los Andes, like Contango Gold. Follow me at Michael McRae. Paul is at Paul Harris Gold. I've got that correct, Paul? Yes. <laughs> and Warren, how can people get a hold of you? You can get me at Warren Gilman at qrcc.com.hk. The HK is for the Hong Kong base that I'm not in for the rest of the summer. If you like what you hear, subscribe, leave a rating. On behalf of Paul, Warren, and myself, have a pleasant weekend.